The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and SonsOfLibertyRadio.com. I said those backwards again this time. <laughs> Uh, by the way, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side, I got to tell you, that title was classic. <laughs> you're going to lean on a shovel and pray that God's going to dig the hole for you. It's not going to work. That was a great title. That was Bradley's show from yesterday. If you'd like to check that out, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and uh, then that will change over. He'll be live in that area at 3 p.m. Eastern. On the right side of the page is where we're at again. Uh, click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you got, and then look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat. We've got a lot of friends in there this morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, good morning to you. And, uh, yeah, you'll have some good fellowship. Hopefully, you'll have some good fellowship over there. You might even get into some interesting conversations. It's funny. I got to tell you, it's funny. We can talk about a particular subject and there's all kinds of stuff going on there. I'm like, why is there not a talk about what we're talking? Anyway, uh, sometimes you and, and there's some good information that gets there, too. So we appreciate everybody who chimes in and uh, who participates. Thank you very much for that. Right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we get that once a day. That includes the morning show archive. Uh, all the things that we're going to reference today, all of those are listed in there. So if you want to go back behind it, you don't have to have a pen and write with it now. Uh, you can go back and you can click those. You can look at the context. You can see exactly what's going on. And you can look at it for yourself, right? And you come to your own conclusion. I'm not here to make anybody think anything. I'm here to present what the scriptures say. And, uh, and then I leave it in the hands of the Spirit of God. I mean, either he's powerful enough to convert you or to correct you or edify you, or whatever, or he's not, and I believe he is, so I leave that in his hands, okay, um, but you can do that. I forgot to mention, we're also streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. You talk in the back. <laughs> Are y'all at the back of the bus? 
Uh, I'm just re responding to somebody in the uh, in the chat there. That's hilarious. Um, <clears throat> so we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there, and we appreciate those guys carrying us also. Uh, finally, if you agree with our message, you want to help keep us out there, um, doing what we're doing on internet radio and out among the people. There's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And uh, guys, we really do appreciate you very, very much in doing that. Now, I got to tell you, for <clears throat> I, you know, I'll get messages where somebody will kind of share with me something that's going on or um, you know, how something on the show affected them or their spouse or you know, eyes are open to the things. And, and I always, always give the glory to God because I can't do that. I, I, am in, I am incapable of one, resurrecting spiritually dead men. I, I can't do it. God can do it, but I can't. Uh, I, I'm, I'm incapable of having the ability to correct. Now, can I use a gift in that? Yep, but that gift comes from the Spirit, right? Each of our gifts are different, but of the same Spirit. We went through this, oh, I don't know, several months ago. Uh, we're talking about gifts within the body. So all those gifts are important to the body. The body can't function properly without them. It's like if, if you get an organ taken out, no matter what they tell you, all right, your body does suffer for that. If you have to have a kidney removed, if you have to have a liver transplant or lung, any of those kinds of things that are going on, which I kind of, I'm starting to question whether we ought to be doing that stuff, considering the issues of bloods and stuff. But anyway, nevertheless, your body can't function properly the way it was functioning. And the same thing is true with the body of Christ. We need each other. We do. And, um, and God uses it in different ways. But I, boy, I got several messages yesterday. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying any, any of them are bad. They're not. But I just wanted to share some just off of what we've been talking about here the past. Oh, goodness. Uh, we're in our what? This is like the sixth day we're talking about this subject. And we may just continue on in it because, frankly, for me, going back through these things that I went through years ago has been really incredible. I mean, it really has been incredible. Um, and I meant to bring up a video today. Maybe I'll do that either tomorrow or Friday. We're, we're looking to bring Ben Davis back on. I'm waiting for him to tell me whether he's going to come on Thursday or Friday. But you remember Ben? Ben was the guy kicked out of the National Guard. He flew all these different kinds of planes. He was a captain, and he wouldn't take the shot. And he put the gospel all in the records of everything of why he was not doing it. Well, boy, he's got a story to tell about all of the stuff that's coming from that. So uh, we're going to see to bring him, we're going to try to bring him on Lord willing tomorrow or Friday. And I think you'll be very edified in that. Now, I just want to share this, this email with you, and then I'm going to address uh, another one uh, that was sent to me. <clears throat> uh, this, I, I'm just going to say this is from um, uh, Char Charlie. I'm just going to say Charlie. I'm not going to say his last name. But Charlie wrote me, and he wrote several things here, and this is what he said. Um, Brother Tim, so appreciate how you teach the scriptures in context. The last four lessons have been spot on concerning destruction of Jerusalem, the surrounding events that occurred at that time in biblical history. Thank you. Now, understand, Charlie is 74 years old. What an encouragement to hear that uh, from uh, an older brother in the faith. He says, I too have stood against the false teaching of futurism. Other false doctrines for many years have been looked upon as weird. Yeah, that happens. Having grown up and indoctrinated into that doctrine, it was difficult to learn different. 
but by his grace and leading I did. I was taught many things that were not biblically correct. Yep, same here. Same here. Um, and by his guidance began to come to into the understanding of what the scriptures really teach. Once the issue of futurism was settled, all of scripture took on whole new meaning led by the Holy Spirit, who is our number one teacher. I always had a love for the scriptures and our Lord and Savior and continued to grow in his love and grace. All those false doctrines I had to dump into the false doctrine trash can and learn from the Lord the truth of scriptures. Thank you, Charlie, for that. What a great encouragement. And to know, you know, the Lord isn't just working in my life, but he's working in yours. He's working in in people like Charlie's. It, it, I mean, it's really great. I also got another one um, from uh, Bill. And um, he he basically said thing. He was, he was glad I was showing what was happening in Matthew 24 and things of this nature. Um, and then went into the whole sons of God thing uh, and basically said that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with the argument because I used to hold it, okay? Um, but it was, it was, you know, when he says, oh, the sons of God doesn't have anything to do with the line of Seth, uh, no line of Seth was righteous. It does not say anyone from the line of Seth was righteous. No one from the line of Seth entered the ark. Well, that's just nonsense. Noah was righteous. He is in the genealogy in chapter 5 of Seth. So are his sons. They're, I mean, they're obviously in that line too. The lineage, the genealogy, that's what Genesis is. It's the genealogies. It's not the genealogies of angels. It's the genealogies of men. And so I held that position until I had to teach Genesis for myself. And the natural flow of the context is laying out because those sons of God are mentioned in the Old Testament. No question about that. We know in the New Testament, when the line is given of Christ, what is Adam? He is the son of God. He's the son of God. And we know men began to call on the name of the Lord in Genesis chapter 4. What does the scriptures reveal to us about that? If they call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. What's the idea there? They are the sons of God. And people take one portion of one verse and construct all of this stuff. By the way, um, <clears throat> it's interesting that I did a show. It was called, uh, let me get it up here a second. It's called... Context, context, context. Who the sons of God in Genesis 6 really are. I did this in 2019. And I did it in response to a guy who got on the radio and for four days, four days, he talked about the Nephil. That's the Hebrew for the Nephilim or the fallen ones in some tr certain translations. And uh, this gentleman, uh, Bill, who sent me this, and Bill, by the way, I'm not capping on you. I appreciate that you taking the time to write. But I addressed this guy of why he was telling people that Bigfoot was in the Bible. He said, well, this is the fallen ones. Really? And by the way, nobody's denying that giants existed. But people who push that say, well, the giants came from this, you know, demon or this fallen angel, human high, you know, copulation that's going on. And that's nonsense. The text says it before it even says the sons and daughters 
or the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Before it even says it, it says there were giants in the land that existed before that. Where did they come from? They didn't come from that, that particular union. We know that. And the whole context is nothing but men, 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 men. Does it say that God saw the wickedness of angels? It says he saw the wickedness of man. And, um, you know, when I said what I said about Matthew 24, and we'll just cover this one more time, just so everybody gets it, so that when people say these things, you get the context of what Jesus is pointing to. He said, uh, you said something to the effect of, um, that's it, folks. That's all that was going on there. Nothing unusual. Well, I don't know that I said that. What I said was people go down this road and they start talking about days of Noah and they start getting into genetics and fallen angels, you know, messing around with women and all, the, all this kind of stuff and producing giants. And, the, and, and Jesus doesn't even reference that. That's not even on his radar when he says this. And I'm going to show you. We did it the other day. This is Matthew 24, verse 37. Again, he's talking about the destruction that's coming upon Jerusalem, where he will be coming in the clouds. Those that pierced him will see him. That generation is going to see all those things fulfilled. That's the context. Okay? And then he says this, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. How, what are those days like, Jesus? For as in the days that were before the flood, what are the days before the flood? The antediluvian world. The days of Noah. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, having sex with angels. Is that what he said? Nope, that's not what he says. Angels looking at daughters of men and making for them wives and having children. That's not what he says. He says they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And I want to ask you, if you believe that that stuff is going on in Genesis 6, if you believe that, then where was it going on in the first century at the coming of the Son of Man? It wasn't. It wasn't. So this is where I'm saying, let's not get caught up in these things to which there's really no basis except if you go outside of Scripture to pseudepigraphal books or other books like that. But you're not going to Scripture. Okay? You're, you're just not going to Scripture. And the context here is clear. I don't know how Jesus can be any more clear. For everybody around, it was just another day. And that's what he's communicating. They're asleep. It's like Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians when he says, we're not those who sleep so the day doesn't overtake us. But we know. We see what Jesus said, right? He says, we're not like that. So, I, you know, I appreciate both emails, um, but just I, I just kind of wanted to go back on that one and, and state this is where we're at, okay? These are the things that, we, that we've looked at. I think they're clear. I don't know how they can be more clear. Um, but I want to start again with 
Luke chapter 17, and I want to get to some passages that we didn't get to yesterday, one in particular uh, that we're going to spend some time on. And we're going to, we're going to see what, what it has to say. But let's start with this. So you remember the Pharisees, they're the guys who have been, who believe and have been teaching, okay? They have been teaching that the kingdom of God is going to come and the Messiah is going to come and he's going to uh, destroy the Roman Empire and uh, he's going to set up his throne there in Israel and they all feel like they're going to be, you know, his counsel and, you know, that God loves them more than he does the other people. And they come to find out a rude awakening that they're not loved by God at all. These Pharisees aren't. They're woed and they're judged by God. Jesus himself, God in the flesh. By the way, somebody was saying in the chat, I don't know who it was the other day, they said, Jesus is not God. What? Have you not read John chapter 1? Who's the Word? Is that not Jesus? And the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. <laughs> it's so... Some things are just so clear. I don't, I don't know why people don't get it. Anyway, I got off topic there. Sorry about that. So this is what they're looking for. And it says, verse 20 of Luke chapter 17, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. So, Jesus tells us exactly where the kingdom of God is. It's in men. It's in them. So, <clears throat> I want to go over here to, let's start at John chapter 18. I was going to start in Matthew, I think, 13. But let's start in John chapter uh, 18. And we're going to cover several little passages here. I just want you to see this idea of the kingdom of heaven we did yesterday. Today we're going to look at where kingdom of God is used for the most part. But I, I want to take this. This is, um, this is Jesus before Pilate. Okay? And the, again, this is, if you got your Bibles, you want to follow along. This is John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And <clears throat> notice in verse... Let's slide up just a tad. <clears throat> then led they, verse 28, okay, of John 18. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is the, is the high priest at the time, unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. I mean, here these guys are worrying about being defiled by going into this hall of judgment where Pilate is, the, the, the Gentile hall of judgment. Um, they're worried about being defiled while they're planning the murder of the Son of God. Can you, can you even wrap your head around the hypocrisy of what that is? But that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. Isn't that interesting? The Jews had a law 
which is given by God, and they were appealing to an ungodly man who was not submissive to God. Understand that. That's part of what the kingdom of God is. You submit yourself to the king and to his law. And here were the people given the law, given the covenant, and they were submitting themselves to this wicked Gentile ruler. Okay? And the Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Says who? Rome? <sighs> Why is that important? Well, we have. The, I'm just going to back up here just to, just to point out something of prophecy. This is Genesis 49, verse 10. I'm just going to make a point about prophecy, and then we're going to go back into John. Okay. Here we have Jacob speaking to his sons. And he says this, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. The father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. You remember, where does Jesus come from? The tribe of Judah, right? From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he counts as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? And then he says this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. That's a prophecy. Now, notice this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Well, what's the scepter here, and what's Shiloh? Well, the idea of the, the scepter being here is the rod. It's the rod of which you, you rule. It is, it is the lawgiver, if you will. And the staff. And then he uses the term Shiloh, okay? And the, the word Shiloh is a messianic title. It literally means he whose it is. He whose it is, okay? And, um, yeah, you can, you can find that in your Strong's Concordance. That's what's going on. So what's the big deal here? Let me, let me give you just a little bit of commentary here. And uh, when, when I'm in the Old Testament, if I read a commentary, I actually like to read Colin Dalich because my understanding is they're some of the foremost authorities in, uh, on the Hebrew. But nevertheless, this is what they say. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, till Shiloh come, and the willing obedience of the nations be to him. That's how they interpret that. You get that? Till Shiloh come and the willing obedience of the nations be to him. They go on and they say the scepter is the symbol of regal command, and in its earliest form it was a long staff which the king held in his hand when speaking in public assemblies. And when he sat upon his throne, he rested in between his feet, inclining towards himself, seeing the representation of a Persian king in the ruins of Persepolis, uh, Niber. And Rice Becker, uh, Besker, I, I, I'm assuming that's how you say that. Uh, the determining person or thing, hence a commander, legislator, and a commander's of ruler's staff from Numbers 21, 18. And here in the latter sense, as the parallels, scepter and from between his feet require 
Judah is the idea was to rule, to have chieftainship till Shiloh came forever. It is evident that the coming of Shiloh is not to be regarded as terminating the rule of Judah from the last clause of the verse, according to which it was only then that it would attain a dominion over the nations, has not an exclusive signification here, but merely abstracts what proceeds from what follows the given terminus adquam, as in Genesis 26.13, or like Genesis 28.15, Psalm 112.8, or Psalm 110.1, and Matthew 5.8. And they go on to explain this, but you get the idea. It's going to be, it's going to stop here, and then Shiloh comes. And then he's going to bear that, right? He's going to bear that rule. And that's what Jesus did. He came and did that. So why is this important to the passage we're looking at? Why is it important? Well, it's important because what are the what are what are the, what are the Jews saying here? It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. The strength of the law was gone from these people. They were under the tyranny of Rome. Okay? That's important to keep in mind. And Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Shiloh spoken of in Genesis 49.10. Then said Pilate unto them, Take him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying by which death or what death he should die. And Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, saying, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? So notice what he asked him. Are you the king of the Jews? Now stop and think about that a second. Why would Pilate ask Jesus such a thing? Why would he do that? You ever thought about that? Why is he asking? The Jews certainly didn't come in and say, hey, this is the king of the Jews, and we need to you know, kind of get rid of this guy. I mean, they were telling him they need to get rid of him. But he says, art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? In other words, Jesus is asking him kind of like he asked his disciples. Remember, he said, who do men say that I am? And they would say, oh, well, some say John the Baptist, some say the prophet, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he goes, okay, now who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember, this is Matthew 16. We went over this several times, too. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the very foundation of what the church is built upon, is the Christ, that he is the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood revealed that to you, didn't they? Or didn't reveal that to you. But my father revealed it to you, Peter. And he's kind of doing the same thing here with Pilate. And Pilate doesn't want to play the game. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answers him. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now he's not saying that it doesn't permeate this world. He's not saying that. He's saying the authority of my kingdom does not come out of this world. It's not like you, Pilate. I don't get it. I don't get my authority because uh, some 
man somewhere gave me some authority. My authority comes from the Father. It comes out of this world. It's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And notice he used the term now. Now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end, what end? That I am a king. Was I born? And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? What is it? Remember, Jesus had said, He is truth. He is the truth. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. He can let go of, he can let go of a prisoner. And that prisoner is going to be released. And what he'll do is, you know, and he's hoping that they're going to see, well, this guy hadn't done anything. So I'm going to let him go. Why don't you take him as your prisoner release for the Passover? Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Oh, ooh, that's got to sting those guys because they hate him. This, remember the, the, the parable of the vine dresser. And what happened? They saw the heir, the son, come and they said, let's kill him and we'll take the inheritance for ourselves. So if your enemy, Pilate, the Romans, come to you and say, do you want us to release the king of the Jews? Can you imagine how that stung them? That was a slap in the face. And they cried, then cried they all again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Some people believe that he was also a murderer, and that's how some of his robberies took place. But nevertheless, the Bible says he was a robber. And instead of taking Jesus, who had not broken the law, remember he says, which one of you can convict me of sin? And nobody could. They said, we'll take this robber. We'll take this zealot. Okay? And then it goes into chapter 19, and I want you to pay attention to this, this idea of kingship that's going on, the mockery and the reality. Okay? Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plated a crown of thorns. So they put a crown on his head, but they make it of thorns. And they put it on his head and they put him, they put on him a purple robe. This is the symbol of royalty. And said, Hail, King of the Jews. These are the Romans. And they smote him with their hands. And Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Now remember. In another passage of Scripture, Pilate's wife has had a dream about Jesus, and she comes to him and she says, "I, this guy's bad news, man. You don't want anything to do with this guy. Don't, don't, just don't have anything to do with him. And Pilate doesn't listen. And he tells them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. <laughs> I find no fault in him. Go kill him. 
You're talking about vacillating. This is this is Pilate. This is the man he is. It's kind of like your politicians today. They tell you one thing and they do something else. The Jesus, uh, excuse me, then the Jews answered him, we have a law. Well, I thought you were just saying you don't have the ability in the law. We have a law, and by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. But they just got through saying they don't have the ability to carry it out according to their law. You talking about vacillating there too? What's it going to be, guys? You're going to stick with the law of God or are you going to go with the law of man? And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall, three times a charm, right? And saith unto Jesus, whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Don't you know who I am? I mean, if we're, if we're to put it in a way that is almost cartoonish, it would, it would be funny if it wasn't so serious what he's doing. Pilate sitting there, in essence, saying, and he doesn't know what he's, what he's getting at, I... Your creation, I have power to kill you or to let you go. Stop and think about it a second. The creation speaking to the creator, kind of like what Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 9. I got the power to take your life or to let you go. That's what he's doing. And Jesus speaks to this. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth, we're getting to the point here in a second. Actually, we're making the point all through here. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. So he keeps trying to go and let Jesus go. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. See how they're trying to manipulate Pilate in this worldly scheme? They have the law of God. They don't want to obey the law of God. Jesus confronted them over and over and over and over again about not doing that. You're not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. You're siding with this guy, and you're even, buying, you're even coming out and telling us, hey, he's the king of the Jews. Well, isn't that an affront to Caesar? Come on, Pilate, you know better than that. And it scared Pilate. When Pilate, see, he wanted to save his own neck rather than an innocent man, Jesus. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover at about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Mm, that had to sting. This had to sting them. But look at how they respond. Listen to what they say. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king. 
but Caesar. Wow. Wow. But you talk about a twisted, a double-minded men. They want to talk about how they serve God. God is their Lord. He is their master. He's given his law. Oh, but we can't fulfill the law unless we want to be dirty guys and drag some lady out in the middle of adultery uh, and not get our friend who's in there as well. And we're hiding our own and we want to stone her and trick Jesus in the process. We'll carry it out for our own fleshly lust. We'll, we'll do that. But, but when it comes to really carrying it, they're, they're going to, to Caesar. And then they say, we have no king but Caesar. That is the ultimate apostasy for those who are supposed to be in, in, under the rule of God. I mean, it's incredible. And they delivered him, then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And by the way, I can, I can hold this up for political leaders today too. They don't have to be kings in name. They just have to be political persons in positions of authority or power or whatever, whatever term you want to use. They're trying to lord it over other men. And they're not doing it according to the law of God. They're doing it according to the law of men. And people still buy into this stuff. It's the same stuff. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate, that they do it again. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Now, what they would do is when the person was crucified, they made a, a sign over them stating what their crime was. And here's what he wrote about the crime of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And this title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate's like, Nope. What I've written, I've written. Now, I do that as a start to show you, and that's the start where we've got 15 minutes in, this, in the radio show. <laughs> but I read you that so that you see all throughout that what's going on. And it, I got to tell you, even though Pilate does the wrong thing, it seems that he does at least get what's going on there. Uh, very, he's very foolish man, but he, he did at least get, I mean, he's just sticking it to him. Jesus is the king. He's king. Now, he doesn't bow his knee to him, but he, rec he recognizes that he is king of the Jews. Now, with that said, let's go back into the king's words. As he's, as he's performing his ministry, what does Jesus say? So he gives us some more things about what the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God. And one of this comes... And we may finish this out in this part and then get on to some of these other, just some other tidbits throughout Scripture too. But this one is one most people know. They've, they've heard this. And I want Jesus to tell us in context, in this overarching picture of what he says the kingdom of heaven is like, 
I want him to tell us what that is, and so let's pay attention to it. This is from Matthew chapter 13. And beginning at verse 1, it says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into the good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So, notice what he's doing. There's a great multitude. He's not necessarily talking to the disciples specifically, although they're there, but there's a multitude that were gathered unto him. And notice these people. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. So he went into a ship and he sat there. The teachers uh, in the Old Testament, you'll see uh, when Jesus comes into the synagogue, he stands for the reading. He sits for the teaching. Isn't that interesting that that's, that's kind of how... The teachers did. They, they sat instead of standing. And we know that he went into a ship, and that's probably because there were so many people gathered on the shoreline, and all of them were standing. And so he goes out into a little boat. He sits in it, and he's probably not far offshore. He's just probably a few feet offshore. And he preaches back towards the people. Okay, Because if, if you're doing it the opposite way, if all the people are on a ship and you're doing that, it's going to be hard to hear because of the, the ocean waves. He's preaching back towards them. Okay, And he tells them this parable about these soils and the result of the seed that falls upon the soil. Now, he doesn't tell them what each of these things mean. He just tells them the parable and leaves it at that. By the way, just so you understand... The scriptures also tell us that when he tells parables, it was to close the eyes of people, not to open them. It was to close them. So when he tells them this thing, he leaves it as it is, and he says, if you got ears to hear, hear, right? Then this, verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you, 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 to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. How many preachers today talk about the parables are there to communicate these things, and Jesus was trying to open their eyes? To, that's not what he says. Even the disciples get, why are you telling these little, these little stories? He says, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but it's not been given to them. And then he explains it. He explains it. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, 
because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. By the way, if I use the term uh, stupid, I'm not meaning as a derogatory term. Somebody asked me, why are you calling people stupid? It is this. They're dull of hearing. They are hard-headed. They are a knucklehead. That's what I call it. It's not a derogatory term. It's you're not listening. Oh, what in the world have we got? I do not know what's going on here. Okay, somebody is acting goofy, and I apologize for that. I should turn. Nobody ever calls me on Telegram, and I don't even know who that is. So in any case, maybe I just need to turn that off. My apologies. So he goes on, and he says this. Their heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But he says, For the disciples, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. So, he, I think he's talking about the prophets. They wanted to see the Messiah come. They wanted to see God's kingdom. They wanted to see his kingdom, his salvation. They wanted to see all of that. And here he was, right in the midst of the disciples. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And he explains this. When anyone heareth, listen, the word of the kingdom. What were they preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So he's telling you what happened when the seed got on the, on the wayside. Nothing. Nothing. They hear, but they don't hear. They don't listen. And that word is stolen away from them, so they, can't, they are not even going to contemplate it anymore. But he that received the seed into the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word. And anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now, I had a guy the other day, um, he, was in the, he was in the comment section. And he wanted to go back and forth to me. Never would touch Matthew 24. He was all over the place. Um, never, never gave any correction to Matthew 24. So as far as I'm concerned, Matthew 24, what I said that day, stood. Because he didn't touch it. He went everywhere else but Matthew 24. And <clears throat> this guy told me, You're, you I, I don't want to mispronounce it or missay his words. But it was something to the effect of, I don't want to go through the tribulation. 
So I hold it, something of the effect of I hold this. I if I miss if I miss speaking about the guy, I don't I don't. I'm, it's not my intent to do it. But it was very clear. He says I don't want to go through the great tribulation. Well, you're not. It's already passed. Jesus said so. Matthew twenty four. The thing you're arguing with me for. You're not going to go through that. But Paul does say it is through much persecutions and tribulations that we enter into what? The kingdom of God. Persecutions and tribulations are a part of the Christian experience. They are. If there's no persecution, if there's no mockery, if there's no tribulation because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you might want to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because the scripture says, I mean, are, are we better than Jesus? Is he the master? Is he the Lord? Is he the king? Yep. Well, the servant isn't greater than the master. Jesus said, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. Now, specifically, he said that to the disciples, but we draw application from that. You understand what I'm saying? We interpret it as to he's speaking to them, and we can draw application. We can see it throughout the world and throughout history of what's going on there. So, he continues. But he that received the seed in the stony ground, I don't know where I stopped here. But he that received the seed in the stony ground, this, okay, the deal with joy. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the guy who, this was the one where they had tribulation persecution. Verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. There's no fruit in his life. He hears it, but he's so earthly-minded, he's no heavenly good. Let me flip that around for people. He's concerned with the things of the world. And a lot of it, look, um, you know, I confess that. I, you know, I have all kinds of cares that I have to deal with here in the world, the same as many of you. But is that choking out? Is it, is it destroying the word of God in you? You have to be the one to see that. And then he says, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. He not only comprehends it, he doesn't give a mental assent to it. He not only comprehends it, he submits himself to it. He submits himself to it. Which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. See, believers are going to produce fruit at different rates. But they do produce fruit. They're not like the barren fig tree that Jesus found and he cursed. And then he says this. Another parable, this is verse 24 of Matthew 13, if you're following along. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So this guy, he's sowing good seed. He's just got through talking to us about sowing seeds. He sowed good seed into the field. And while the men are asleep, there's an enemy that comes in and he sows tares among the wheat. And you can't tell the difference until they're full grown. They look the same until they bring forth fruit. Then appeared the tares also, verse 26. So the servants of the householder 
came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in the bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So in the kingdom, what's going on? You've got wheat and you've got tares. You've got the genuine believer and you've got those who are not. That's going on in the kingdom. Okay? Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh the tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So the kingdom is like a mustard seed. <clears throat> it starts off very small, and it grows very large. And it doesn't do that in an instant, does it? It grows over time, just like all plants do. They don't just, you drop a seed in the ground, and the next day it's full grown, and it's got fruit off of it or whatever you're growing. That doesn't happen. And Jesus is saying that. <clears throat> it's the smallest of the seeds, of the herbs. And yet, what does it do? It grows into this enormous tree, so big that the birds can come and they can lodge in that. He says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Starts out small, grows big. In fact, the Bible says of, his, uh, of the uh, increase of his governance, there will be no end. He, it's going to continually increase. And then he goes in verse 33, and he says, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto Levin, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, Till the whole was leaving. Same, the same picture. Little bit of kingdom grows into a big kingdom, and it continues to expand. That's what he's talking about. He's saying the kingdom is like that. Bradley, be with you at three. We'll be back in the morning. Lord willing, with six a.m. And uh, if you want to hang over, you want to catch us, sonsoflibertymedia.com or beforeitsnews.com. Otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow. All right. Thank you very much. I uh, want to welcome everybody coming over from uh, Red State Talk Radio. He then says, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept in secret from the foundation of the world. And again, here's another part where he goes back and he talks about his previous parable. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, 
He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So he's the one sowing the seed, Jesus. The field is the world. Now remember, he says the kingdom is like this. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world or the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. This is exactly what he's talking about in Matthew 24. Same thing. It's the same thing. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. And again, I, I don't know how much clearer. We can read Hebrews 9 again. Jesus came at the end of the world, the end of the age. And the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Notice, they're going to gather out of his kingdom. And he that just said that these things are in the world. Gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And shall the righteous shine forth as the son of the king in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. He finds something very precious. And what does he do? He'll sell everything he's got to go get that treasure that he found, but to buy that field and have that treasure for himself because he sees the value in it. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Is this not what Christians do? Is this not what happens when you go from death to life? Is this not what happens when you go from darkness to light? You are willing to give up anything and everything and anybody to have Jesus as your king, to submit to him as Lord. Is that not what happens in the hearts of believers? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. Hmm. The kingdom of heaven's like that. Like a net, cast into the sea, gathering of every kind. The Bible says that Jesus saves people out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. All kinds. When it's full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. It's kind of like the wheat and the tares thing. There's a separation that goes on. So shall it be at the end of the world or the end of the age. Listen, he's talking to the people he came to. There is a timeline that's there. We went through this in Daniel chapter 9. There's a timeline where these things are to happen. 
And the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Remember, Jesus constantly warned the Pharisees they were going to find themselves in Gehenna or hell, the trash dump where they burned all the trash outside the city. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? And they said unto them, said unto him, Yea, Lord. And he said unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And then, of course, he departs from there. But listen, he's telling them what the kingdom is like. And when you read it, does it sound like it's something that's out of this world or something that's in this world? What's well, obviously something going on in this world because you've got tares in the midst of the wheat. You've got some of these other things that he talks about. You've got seeds still being sown. Some of the people not receiving the seed. Some of the people facing persecution and tribulation. And so the seed is done. Some, the evil one takes away from them. But he says, this is what the kingdom's like. He says, that's what it's like. Now, the only way I can see that you see that future is if you've been taught that. I don't see that in the text, in the context. If somebody can break this context down and stay in the context and say, no, he's not talking about that, and he's talking about, you know, pie in the sky somewhere, and not the kingdom that has come through the king, then I have, I, I really, I, I don't know, I don't know how to respond to that because it seems to me the context is clear of what he's teaching. What else? <clears throat> He, um, this comes from Luke chapter 13. And here's what he says. Then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. He reiterates this again. He did it in Matthew 13. He's doing it in Luke 13. Which a man took and cat... Uh, cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again, he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. He's constantly making mention of what the kingdom of God is like. Okay? All right. So there are some other passages that I just kind of wanted to make mention of. Um, if you go back to Daniel chapter 6, you can see that even Darius, you can see Nebuchadnezzar recognized that there was a kingdom in existence long before Christ comes on the scene. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says that, that God has a king. Uh, that I believe that's in Daniel chapter 5, 4. Uh, he says that uh, it's a, nobody can stay his hand. He rules over the nations. Then Darius... Uh, comes in verse 26 of chapter 6, and he says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, I mean, he's still trying to claim it's his, men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. 
I mean, you even have these kings who are saying that. Okay. But notice, notice what else. Let's take a, a few snapshots of things that happen in the New Testament or things that are said in the New Testament with regard to the kingdom of God. Matthew 28, or excuse me, 12. Matthew 12. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against him. How shall then his kingdom stand? Well, it's not. It can't stand. And if I, remember they, they said, he, he cast out devils by the power of Beelzebub. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? Did Jesus do that? Yes, he did. And then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So he tells us in here, if I am casting out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why won't you guys listen? That's what he's, that's what he's saying. You, you see the works. And here in Luke 11, verse 20, he says the same thing. If I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. The psalmist writes about that kingdom. Psalm 145. Verse 10. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living It's an everlasting kingdom. And there is a king there. Here's another one. And this comes from 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And beginning in verse, um, let's see, 15. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech ye, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. Remember, he's given a lot of correction here in the book of 1 Corinthians. 
Some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's in power. And this is what Paul would say. He says, I don't have flowery language or any of that other, but I came to you in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. And he says, what about that? The kingdom of God comes in power. We've got Second uh, Thessalonians. And in um, chapter 1, <clears throat> we, uh, we, we, we see this. Hang on just a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, here's what we read. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Hmm. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed with heaven, from heaven, with his mighty angels, and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Then he says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, <clears throat> and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the kingdom of God like? Well, he's laid it out. It's like seeds. It's like, it's like leaving. It's like um, a, a guy finding a treasure and selling all that he's got to, to obtain the land that he hid it on. It's like that one who finds that perfect pearl and he's going to go sell all he's got so he can get that pearl. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out small and it expands and it grows into a great tree. The kingdom of God is like a lot of things. It's like a guy who sows his field with wheat, and somebody comes along and his enemies sow tares in the midst of that field. I got a question for you. Is Jesus really your king? Have we seen him as such? Because I can tell you, those who came before us saw him as king, real king, not not a king who might come and, and fix stuff, but a real king who has real laws and a real kingdom. 
This is why they would write such things as they did in the laws of the early days of the colonies that became the states. It's, it's why their appeal was to the king. It was an appeal to heaven. They wanted to live in the kingdom under the king's rule, and they were blessed for it. And we've lost concept of that. We think it's just fine for men to just rule however they want to rule, write whatever laws they want to write. And I'll say it for the guys who wrote the Declaration of Independence. They, that's exactly what they called out the king and the parliament for. You're writing pretended legislation, then you're pulling us across the seas to try us for pretended crimes because pretended crimes is what you get from pretended legislation. This is what you're wanting to do. You don't want to submit yourself to the king. You don't want to bow your knee to the king. You don't want to fulfill the king's law. And so therefore you're a tyrant. You're an imposter. And they cut themselves off from it. Imagine if people got the mindset that the king is ruling and reigning now, that you are in his kingdom if you're a believer, and they would push those crown rights of King Jesus in every area of their life, including the civil government sphere. And that's all we had, just the simple moral law of God. None of this nonsense where they're nitpicking everything so they can steal from us. Oh, you're going so many miles over the speed limit? Yep, that's against the law. Whose law? Whose law? You have to wear a seatbelt or we're going we're gonna to fine you. Uh, or, or we're going to fine you here. Who wrote that law? I mean, we can go down the list of just goofy laws, pretended laws, man's laws that we have. When we have a king, we have laws, when we have a kingdom. What does it motivate us to do? Take in the word, let the word saturate us, let it grow us, and submit ourselves to the king, doing what the king has commanded. That's what I would like to see. I would like to see people grab hold of the kingdom and of the king and obey him. And really, when you think about it, that is the message of the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Christ, all of it. That the king came and died for the rebels in his society that he might bring them into his house. That he might make them sons and daughters. That he might make them heirs and joint heirs of all things that are his. But there's a stipulation. You must repent. Quit being a rebel. Quit violating the king's laws. Submit to the king. Come to him. Be washed of your sin, your lawlessness, and submit yourselves to him. Some of you have done that. You're seeing the fruit of that in your life, of what God has done. Praise the Lord for that. But some have not. They've been in church. They might have read their Bibles. But they've never bowed the knee to the king. They've never done that. They're among those in the soil who the word's gotten choked out. It's been stolen from them. 
fell on a stony heart, whatever the case may be. But they've never come and they've never sprouted forth, as it will, and brought forth fruit. If you hear his word today, don't harden your heart. Submit to the king and he'll have mercy on you. Otherwise, there is a death penalty for you. There is a fearful expectation of judgment for you. Submit yourselves to the king this day. Bradley be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Talk to you then.